Good evening, gearheads. Welcome to your Sunday night with Speed City. This is John Massengale, and I am in the studio in Austin, Texas, and I am joined over Zoom by Mr. Bob Varsha. Mr. Varsha, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great, John. Thanks. I caught up on my sleep after my big day at my local track of Road Atlanta yesterday, uh, and I'm ready to go. All right. Well, I tell you what, I have not been more excited to do a show because this Ford announcement is just fantastic. I know it leaked out in the press early, and we kind of all saw this yeah. coming for a few weeks now, but this is such fantastic news, and that's the big topic of the of today's show is Ford returning to Formula One. But And we've got lots to lots of guests, lots of things to talk about because we have the Ford Performance Motorsports Global Director, Mark Rushbrook, that uh, Chris Medlin did an interview so with Mr. Rushbrook. And Chris Medlin also did an interview with Red Bull boss Christian Horner. So we have both of those interviews on the Ford topic. We're going to talk all about the Ford history. And, Bob, you got to sit down with Pietro Fittipaldi on talking about his continuing with Haas F1. That was pretty pretty fun, it looked like to me. Oh, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, he was a really well-spoken guy. Um, and I'm, as I'll say in the interview, I am astonished that a guy with his breadth and depth of experience and proven ability is not a regular somewhere else. I mean, he's raced stock cars, open-wheelers, IndyCar, Formula One, all of these different series. And yet, you know, he's out there at age 26 kind of, you know, picking up gig work. Fortunately, he's got a deal with Haas, as you mentioned, to be the test and reserve driver. I asked him exactly what all that is entailed. So, yeah, I mean, here's a kid that I'd really like to see more of uh, racing in the years to come. Yeah, I know. He's one of my favorites, Bob. He's such an, he's mm -hmm. such a nice guy, too, in person. Running to him a bunch out at Coda, because, uh, you know, because – his obligations for Haas are not quite as heavy duty, so he's got more time to hang out with, with goofy, right. you know, journalists like us. But he's fun and <laughs> he, and he's a great guy. So uh, yeah. what we've got. Now, that let's not forget his sports car experience running the European Le Mans series. He's been to the twenty four hours race there yeah. with distinction. So I mean, the, the guy just drips talent. I know it's amazing. Uh, we're also going to talk a little IndyCar. I know NASCAR's going on right now. We're up against the NASCAR clash but uh, we're, we're going to talk some indycar because they did some testing got a clip or two right. from indycar that we're going to play but let's uh let's oh and we got jonathan green we did a clip with him just a minute ago down in new zealand for the castrol toyota formula regional oceana championship we got some americans well doing done. great down there <laughs> yeah they are and that's um yeah that series is growing in importance and uh, people are paying attention to it and we uh we're giving them the boost that they uh, that they deserve in this country because some really good guys have come out of that series. And everybody knows the Kiwis and the Aussies uh, love their motor racing. Yeah, and man, they hold that series up high. Well, Bob, let's jump into the Ford returning to Formula One. And I got the right guy because I, the, the, the returning is the key here because Ford has a rich history in Formula One. But let's talk about the details here. So Ford has decided to team up with Red Bull on the powertrain side and mm -hmm. and and which we know has stemmed from the Honda power unit side but the way I read all of this and we'll hear from the the gentleman uh, Mark Rushbrook from Ford but the the uh, the idea is that Ford is going to be running the essentially half of the power unit side or engineering or bringing their resources to that 
and they've said it that they, they want to be on the electric side of this and sure. you know with their their commitment to moving to electric and hybrid and sustainability and all that so that's yeah, the sustainable fuels is a big part of it too i think absolutely yeah i mean and indycar was running some sustainable fuels in this test and apparently going to be running this season as well but but this ford deal was mm-hmm. so exciting i mean i i now have visions of ford versus gm you know, with Cadillac, with Andretti, if that comes to fruition. So it's just. <laughs> and if you think Ferrari and Mercedes and Honda <laughs> are going to sit by and let those two American giants come in here and dominate the show, you're kidding yourself. <laughs> but one thing I need to point out, John, is that, it, yeah, it's great Ford is coming. But in the context of six manufacturers, six big worldwide brands that have signed up to produce power units, Beginning in 2026, it's not just Ferrari and Renault and Mercedes anymore. You've got Ford in there. You've got Honda in there. And it's um, and you've got Audi coming. So, you know, we're going from three to six in the number of different interpretations of the rules when it comes to power units and drive lines. And that's terribly exciting, I think. Yeah, no doubt about it. That is... Uh... <laughs> I mean, there's so much going on right now. It's really stunning to just – it's hard to even keep up with everything that's happening in Formula One right now, <laughs> particularly when it comes to the United States influence. And, you know, you, again, you have to point back to Drive to Survive. But but I want to I go ahead and plug into this conversation the history of Formula One first before we hear from any of these interviews because, Bob, I think mean, Ford's history – you know, everything from the the DFV engine back in the 60s to the 80s. I mean, mm-hmm. tremendous history, don't they? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there was a time when there were two power unit or engine builders on the grid. There were two Ferrari race cars. Everybody else on the grid was using that golden Ford Cosworth DFE. I mean, the engine was magic. It debuted in 1967, as I recall, and it was a momentous occasion. It was a Dutch Grand Prix, the same race at which Dan Gurney's All-American Racers debuted their Eagle Westlake V12 engine. I think Gurney split the front row Lotus Cosworths of Jim Clark and Graham Hill. Clark went on and won the race. But later on that year at Spa-Francorchamps, as we all know, the Gurney Westlake came through and, uh, and won the race. The first time for an American driver in an American car that he built as a company Uh, but that ignores the fact that ford was the giant in the room for the longest time what 155 grand prix victories Um, it it was a spectacular piece of engineering congratulations to keith duckworth and and mike costin from cosworth uh, who put that thing together Um, and then of course ford was involved with jackie stewart's paul stewart racing formula one team in fact, Jackie used Ford to finance it, then turned around and sold it to Ford for tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, which I think is one of the great sales pitches of all time. And then it became Jaguar, which Ford basically owned outright at the time. That came to naught and eventually became Red Bull. And so having Ford back with Red Bull again is kind of bringing the story full circle. Yeah. And, and Bob, this went on for such, you know, you said 1967. But I'm just looking at some of the stats all the way into 1980. In 81, they won mm-hmm. eight of the 15 wins for Ford powered cars with either Williams, Robin, McLaren. Uh, right. I mean, uh, crazy. And then half of the 16 races were won by Ford, Ford engines in 82. 
So, uh-huh. I mean, I guess it says 85 was the last season for that, uh, for that engine that yeah. was so dominant, but right. But really the double four valve DFE and it jumped the pond and became the IndyCar engine to have for many years as well. When it was turbocharged and, and just went on and on and on. It's an amazing piece of automotive history. I mean, I, I think some people say, and you can easily make this argument, it's one of, one of, if not the greatest racing engine of all time. Oh, I would say so. I would call it number one. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to play this interview that Chris did for us um, it, with Christian Horner first because he caught up with him, actually caught up with him in New York earlier in the week. I think it was actually before it was officially announced. But, yeah, this is Chris Medlin with um, Red Bull boss Christian Horner. So, Christian, we are sheltering from the freezing conditions outside uh, in Manhattan at the Classic Car Club. And it's been a big day for Red Bull because not only have you launched your 2023 season here in New York City, but there's been the announcement that you'll be partnering with Ford on the powertrains from 2026 onwards. Just how big is that deal? That's huge news for us. I mean, it's a new chapter within our our history for 2026. Of course, you know, Red Bull powertrains... Um, is a startup, um, you know, created 18 months ago, and what we've done in a short space of time is is phenomenal. And I think that strategically to to um, enter into an agreement like this with Ford that gives us you know technical um, know-how, particularly on EV development and cell technology and software implementation, with one of the biggest OEMs in the world. For us, is a it's a great tie-up, and I think that um, uh, you know it gives us uh, confidence. You know, going toe to toe with you know, some of the other great manufacturers that have obviously committed to 2026. Um, that uh, you know we won't be missing in a short in any area. Um, it's very impressive to think that the names you've been linked with over the last year about talking to about partnerships, whatever. So if I can put it in one way, what did the Ford partnership give you that the Porsche one didn't? And that's two amazing brands to be talking about. I mean, they are two amazing brands. I think, um, you know, we had some uh, positive discussion with Porsche. Um, in the end, it uh, it didn't come to a conclusion. But I think what we saw in our discussions from a very early stage with Ford was that there was a genuine um, desire to do something um, in a manner that fitted with with our own outlook in terms of there was... Um, there was no interest in, in equity or, or the direction of, of steering um, the technical side of the business. So um, it was a very straightforward deal. There was a desire from Bill Ford and Farley. I think um, technically, commercially, um, it, it just felt right. And you know, Ford's such a strong brand, such a powerful brand, particularly in the, in the US market, um, which again is such a key growth market for Formula One. It just felt like, do you know what? this. The stars align with this, and I think in life the deals that sometimes are, you know, the ones that, that that are the best deals, are the ones that are the easiest deals, are the most natural, and and this had all those hallmarks. And, and what does this deal then bring to Red Bull Powertrains? Because you're building your whole department now. Is, is this kind of plugging a gap that you saw that you might have? I think so. I mean, it, it very much focuses on 2026, um, and so for us it it opens the suite of. Um, R&D uh, labs that they have, particularly on on the EV side, you know, on cell technology, on software deployment, and so on, and even on combustion, there, um, you know, there's, there's there's probably something that we can can learn, and I think that uh, 
you know, that's tremendously um, uh, exciting for, you know, for the, for the whole business. And I think that uh, for us, it just puts us in a stronger position over the next three years as we uh, gear up for, for, you know, seeing the first Red Bull Ford engine fire into life and down the pit lane at the beginning of 2026. I mean, it's an amazing full circle story, though, because obviously Ford sold the team to what's become Red Bull. How proud are you of what Red Bull has then become to be in this position now where you're partnering with such massive brands and having so many others knocking on the door wanting to partner with you? Well, we've got, um, you know, the, the company has come so, such a long way. The team has, you know, when it, when it acquired, you know, the business from Ford, Ford had the belief and the trust in, uh, they had other offers on the table that they could have gone for. They believed that Red Bull was the right you know, uh, company to take it on, and um, you know we did that, and we developed it, and we've we've done what we've done over the last 18 years, and uh, we've attracted some great brands that we're now working with, like likes of Oracle and Exxon Mobil and Tag Heuer, and you know so many of you know, the 42 partners that we have on the car. So um, this now is is effectively completing the circle, where you know it's a very different relationship with Ford to what it was, you know, previously. Um, and uh, yeah, it's um, it, it, it's exciting to think of the possibilities. They've come to us because of how they want to position their brand as well. They want to, you know, be the challenger to be to push the boundaries in the same way that we do. And um, there's no better way of doing that than to join forces with Red Bull. And, and what does it say though about the attractiveness as F1 of the whole? It, what does it say about the attractiveness of F1 as a whole as well right now? Because GM is showing interest in coming in. Like we've mentioned some of the other partners, Audi are coming. Like does the sport, has it ever been stronger in your view? I don't think it's ever been stronger than it is today. And I think that, um, you know, thinking about three, four years ago, it would have been unimaginable that um, the brands that are currently involved and looking to get involved, um, you know, it just wouldn't have happened. And I think that all credit to, to the Liberty guys of you know turning the things around and I think digital media and 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 things like the Netflix series of you know this is a direct output of of that strategy because it's engaged the American public um, and suddenly as a showcase to showcase your product there's no better place in the world to do it than Formula One. Christian thanks very much for your time. All right thank you. Yeah Bob that's some interesting things I, I was taking some notes here Number one, mm -hmm. this seems like a win-win for them because Red Bull was didn't want to give up control to Porsche, right? That was to me that was the biggest thing. Um, but the reason I say the win-win because he was talking about how it was such an easy, natural deal. Well, I, I think it's because of the way Ford wanted to do this, and I like the way they're doing this. They're they're not they're not just dipping a toe with a branding exercise, but they're also not not diving in the deep end as a full full-blown works team, for example, they're, right. you know, they're doing half of the power unit, the electric sign. I think this is, it's got good risk versus reward potential for Ford. It's, you know, they, they're not, they're not going to be one of those giant flops. You know, it doesn't feel like they would be if it wasn't a huge success because of the way they're going into it, but it seems like a win-win. What do you think? I agree. You know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, keep my powder dry until I see how this works when the time comes, I had questions about Red Bull, which of course acquired the intellectual property of the Honda power units that they used for so many years. Honda is still building and maintaining those units. So, you know, the idea of Honda leaving Formula One seems fairly bogus to me, but 
Honda is also coming back, as I mentioned in 2026. Where does Ford, you know, blend with what's already been accomplished with Red Bull powertrains by Honda? Now, Red Bull may have all of the rights to it, and Honda has nothing to say about it. That's fine. That makes it an even bigger coup for Ford because they're going to go right to the limits of, uh, of modern combustion technology combined with uh, electric propulsion. It's all great. And the, um, the historical nuances that we've been talking about, I think, make it an even better story because Ford has been a part of Formula One for so long and has so many close ties to Red Bull. Um, I'd love to hear how this negotiation went down after the Red Bull Porsche deal fell apart. Everybody was older and wiser, and I'm sure um, Ford found out right away what Red Bull wanted to give them in terms of responsibilities and privileges. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it works in lots of different ways, and I wish them all the best, and I think it's really exciting, particularly for those American fans that, um, that Christian mentioned here in the United States. Yeah, you know, uh, he talked about the 42 sponsors they have. Well, they mm -hmm. have they have almost half of those are now American. They have been doing yep. a fantastic, you know, Oracle number one. That is a huge, if not one of the biggest in uh, biggest deals in Formula One. That Oracle deal, it's like sure. a half, half a billion dollars over. I can't remember how many years, but that's a, that's yeah. a huge, huge deal, and they they have really gone after the American sponsors. So, I yeah. think I yeah. think yeah. Well, Red Bull is a it's a marketing company. That's what they do. They yep. don't build streetcars. They market that caffeine-laced energy drink all over the world. They're spectacularly successful at it. So, you know, what sponsor wouldn't want to be involved? We already know Formula One is the greatest marketing platform on an annual basis in the world. Only the World Cup and the Olympics beat it, and they're quadrennial events. So if you want to get your name out around the world, Formula One is the way to do it. And um, I think this is, as you say, a coup for Ford and for Red Bull mutually. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go straight into this interview that Chris Medlin did for us because he caught up with the head of basically the head of Ford Motorsports. That's Performance Motorsports Global Director Mark Rushbrook. So I'm here with the Global Director for Ford Performance Motorsports, Mark Rushbrook. And it's huge news, Mark, that Ford is coming back to Formula One to announce it here as well in New York City. Just how big a day is this in, I guess, Ford's motorsport history? Well, it's an incredibly big day for, for the company, for all of our employees. Motorsports is part of the fabric of the company. Back to 1901 sweepstakes, Henry Ford winning a race and forming the company in 1903. And so motorsports is part of who we are as a company. And we race in so many different series, and they're important for, for many different reasons. But to have the commitment from the company, from our senior leadership to come back to Formula One in the way that we are with a great uh, strategic technical partner like Red Bull. It's the, the right time to be coming back to the sport. It's the right way to be coming back to come back. And uh, it's, gr it's great to finally announce it. And now we've got a lot of work to do to develop that power unit and go racing in three years. Well, just to follow up on that, as you mentioned, the right time and the right partner. So why now? Why is now the right time to be coming back to Formula One? And why Red Bull? Yeah, so we watch, we've watched how the sport has been developing. We watch all the different series. And two years ago when we started hearing from Formula One and the FIA about some of the changes they were making to the future, 
it started to pique our interest and ask wanted us to, we wanted to understand more so some of those things were the commitment to a sustainable fuel for 2026 for the series to, to be carbon net zero for 2030 um, and for the power unit while still staying hybrid there's an increased element of electrification in it so it now gives us a more relevant te technology transfer opportunity two-way transfer so we can bring everything that we're learning about full electric vehicles into the sport to uh, contribute to the performance and the success but also to learn to get even better and to bring that back for our road cars so that's an important pillar in motorsports we've got to have that that technology connection the other part is where we were watching the sport is seeing how the sport was changing and growing a great product of racing on on track but also uh, with different digital elements like drive to survive growing the fan base in a more diverse fan base. So now that gives us an opportunity to connect with more people or relevant future customers that, that we want to have. So at that point, we said, okay, Formula One, we really need to give this even more consideration. It makes sense, but now how do we get in? Um, there's limited ways, obviously, right? There's only 10 teams at this point. There's prospective teams coming in. So as we went uh, through 2022, we talked to a lot of different teams. Some came to us. We went to some prospective teams coming to us with what they were trying to put together, really trying to make sure we had the right match. But out of all of those, when we talked to Red Bull, it was very clear from the very first discussion that what they wanted in a partner as they were embarking on their program independently for development of a power unit and what we wanted in terms of what we could bring from a technology perspective with our resources, with our, with our people, with our knowledge to complement what they already had. It was really good and interesting to them. It was really good and interesting to us. And I think the cultures of the two companies are very similar in terms of uh, how we treat people, respect people, um, but also wanting a winning culture. Uh, that that very first discussion accelerated very quickly to additional discussions and very serious consideration that it was the right match, and here we are today. Yeah, and, and today we're here at the Classic Car Club in Manhattan where they're already de-rigging, actually, if anyone can hear it around us. But um, obviously things won't take place here anymore. They're going to take place, I, I assume, maybe uh, in Michigan. Maybe it's going to be uh, in Milton Keynes. Like, how is the setup going to look from 2026 in terms of where are your resources, where are your expertise going to be used? Yeah, so the, the foundation of the Red Bull Racing Team and Red Bull Ford powertrains is in Milton Keynes. And it's, it's really good seeing on that campus um, the very focused effort because to put the best race car on the track and to win, you've got to have the best total car in, with a power unit integrated as part of it. So that all needs to live together. And what they already had in plans in terms of the, the new building for the powertrains team with a dyno and all the test infrastructure there, that's the right place to keep everything or the focal point physically. Certainly we have uh, significant global resources that can contribute to that. So where it makes sense to do work or testing in other parts of the world using our resources, we will use those. And the people focus will also be in Milton Keynes, but supported with our global team that we already have. We've got people in the United States, in, in Europe, in Australia, supporting all of our racing programs. That will continue and ultimately have some people on site at Milton Keynes as well as, as part of the, the power unit development.
And, and we've talked about the electrification side of things and the hybridization, but what about the, the sustainable fuel that Formula One's going to as well? Was that something that was attractive or, or didn't that quite align? No, absolutely. That's very aligned because, yes, the electrification is important for us as a company for our future, and we've got a lot of resources focused on developing those full electric vehicles for our customers. But also we know we're going to be, be building and selling combustion engine vehicles for some time, more in different parts of the world than others. But that's an important part, as you see in icons like, like Mustang. But we want to do it in a responsible, sustainable way. So sustainability is important to us. Uh, we've already experimented and worked with sustainable fuels in, in racing in November. We used a low-carbon fuel from Shell to power a uh, Ranger Raptor, which finished successfully at the Baja 1000 in November. And this is just taking that to another level to have a sustainable fuel in Formula One. So, yeah, that was absolutely an important element. And you did talk, though, a little bit about the different partners that you spoke to, or some came to you and you said prospective partners. Is it fair to say then that Andretti were, were coming to see if there was a partnership uh, there? What I will say is there were a lot of prospective partners that, that came to us, yeah. But it must be an exciting time to be getting in because of that interest. It's, it's huge across America right now from not just fans or people watching or sponsors, from actual partners wanting to be involved. Yeah, there's the, the sport is really good, and people want to be part of something that is, is as successful. So it's a great time, and it'll be interesting to see uh, the process that the sport goes through as to whether an 11th team and or a 12th team come in or not. Um, we're here to, to race and be, be part of it, and we love racing against other manufacturers, so uh, very interested to see so much interest from all the other manufacturers. And you mentioned loving racing. Does this have any impact on any of the other Ford Motorsport uh, kind of commitments? No, it does not. We're, we are, we've restructured in many ways the way that we're looking at racing and the way that, that we're using it, but we're, we're definitely committed to our, to our programs. Our four pillars really are Racing Mustang, uh, which we race globally and all different levels, professional down to customer race cars. We're committed to off-road. And that includes uh, M Sport and WRC with the, the Puma Hybrid and the full pyramid of cars underneath it. Uh, Bronco Racing in North America with King of the Hammers and Baja. Ranger Racing at Baja, as I, as I said, and more coming globally for that. The third pillar is our full electric demonstrators, as, as you've seen with the uh, Mach-E 1400, Cobra Jet 1400, Supervan 4, 2000 horsepower. More of those coming. So those are all very strategic and fit together. and. And Formula One, as that developed as a fourth pillar, is very much an overlay to all of that because it's it's not specifically targeted as at a nameplate like a Mustang or a Bronco or a Ranger. It is targeted at the brand and it is targeted at electrification. Uh, so it's a great addition for us and no reason to change any of the other great programs we already have. I think people will be really pleased to hear that and it's great to see that investment uh, taking place. And just finally, when does that investment start actually happening? So I guess... You know, it's, it's long-term planning, but yeah, is it, is it go time already? It's go time. Let's go. <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much. Yep. Thank you. Yeah, it's go time. That, that would be so exciting to be involved in that project, uh, something like this from the ground up. I, and you can hear that he's, he sounds like he's the right guy, too, because he's, he's saying all the right things, but he's also got that enthusiasm you heard at the end. Yeah, and it's good to hear that Ford remains committed to all of its other programs, NASCAR, what have you, um, while it invests in what is bound to be a, a fairly complex, wide-ranging, and expensive uh, Formula One program. 
All right, well, let's go to a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have that interview that Bob did with Pietro Fittipaldi, Haas F1 reserve driver. You're listening to Sunday Night with Speed City. Back after this. All right, we're still live on the stream, the YouTubes and the Facebooks. Man, I'm so excited about this Ford thing. And uh, it's like I said to you at the beginning of the show, Bob, or before we went on, is like Ford versus GM. That would be... uh, that would be that's going to just be exciting. I know there's a lot more to it, but heck yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, good times. All right, let's see what we Start got. Start of here. a new golden age in Formula One. Yep. Let's see if we got some folks on YouTube. Here we go. <laughs> Kevin Kelly. So I think he's had a Jameson or two. <laughs> yeah, he said that. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> he has lots of he may have fallen asleep again by now <laughs> he has lots of uh, emoticons going on uh, mm-hmm. uh, Joe from Oyster Bay is joining us as usual Mike Bowles he's a regular yeah all the usual suspects alright we're back from a quick break here we go hello to everyone this is Gunter Steiner this is Speed City Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. All right. Well, we are going to go straight into this interview that Mr. Varsha did for us uh, with Pietro Fittipaldi, reserve driver for Haas F1. Let's hear that. Well, the racing season is fully underway now with the Rolex 24 at Daytona last weekend, IndyCar getting into preseason testing, Formula One liveries being revealed starting yesterday well actually on the 31st with the uh the haas moneygram livery reveal of course these are not the race cars we'll see testing in bahrain and race throughout the formula one season but that's a whole different story and who better to talk about it with than a guy who has had a taste of all of those series and a whole lot more pietro fittipaldi third generation racer pietro thanks for taking the time to join me oh thank you for the invite bob i really appreciate it Happy to be here. It's always a pleasure to speak to you guys. So where are you calling in from, may I ask? So I'm in North Carolina now in, uh, in Davidson. I just got back from the Daytona 24 hours, and my, my parents live over here. So came back to North Carolina, and I'll be going to the U.K. Um, on Sunday to be there with Haas next week. Okay, I got to start with a really stupid question. In my experience of being around these guys, I know Nico Rosberg, and forgive me if my picture breaks, up. Nico Rosberg was born in Germany, does not speak his father, K.K. Rosberg's native Finnish. Tom Blumquist, who sat on pole for the Rolex 24 in which you participated, does not speak Swedish like his famous father, Stig Blumquist. My question for you is, you were born in Miami. Do you speak Portuguese? Yes, I speak Portuguese uh, fluently and, uh, and Spanish as well and a little bit of Italian. Bueno. <laughs> a renaissance man okay uh let's get right into the haas thing congratulations on re-signing as the test and reserve driver for the newly renamed money Graham haas formula one team what do you think of that new livery well, I, I really like it um i want to see it in person it always looks a little bit different in person so i know we have a shakedown um at some point next week which i'll be attending uh so it'll be interesting to to see how the car looks in person um, I'm not sure that they'll be releasing any images yet of the car after the shakedown, 
I know it'll be kind of like a filming day, but to be released uh, later on, um, maybe in the uh, end of February or March. But um, yeah, I think the car looks very nice, looks super aggressive, and uh, let's hope it's uh, it's fast on track as well. It, I'm not sure if this is a question you can answer, but in your opinion, what does that new MoneyGram sponsorship mean to this team? Is it a significant boost? Oh, definitely, yes. So I, I know, you know, we were always struggling to get to that budget cap, um, even when they lowered the, uh, you know, when they put a budget cap into the mm -hmm. uh, Formula One system, but um, we were always struggling to hit it. And now I think with this sponsorship, we are at the budget cap. So um, that's what I believe. So running, you know, um, at maximum capacity and, uh Still not the same as being like a manufacturer team, for example. I think obviously the manufacturers who produce their own powertrains and stuff, they, they definitely have more um, resources. But this MoneyGram title sponsorship is extremely important and uh, gives a team, you know, that, uh, that funding that, that they need to be able to continue developing the car throughout the season and preparing for the upcoming seasons as well. For those who don't understand, in this era of so little on-track testing in Formula One, what are the duties of a test and reserve driver entail? What are you responsible for? So for sure, I need to be ready at every race weekend to make sure if something happens, I jump in the car and I'm performing at my best. Um, that you know happened in 2020 when Roman had his accident and I had to jump in for two F1 races. Um, and you know I'm testing the car throughout the year helping with the development of the car, um, providing my inputs. Um, last test I did with the car was uh, this past uh, uh, this, the December. We did the postseason testing, and we we're testing uh, the 2023 tires already and uh, just, you know, providing my feedback for the team. That's always important. And, uh, and then doing a lot of simulator work because there's not a lot of testing days. Throughout the year, you might get, I mean, maybe seven to eight test days throughout the whole year that you have to share between your two uh, race drivers and your reserve driver. It's like eight days split between three guys. It's it's not a lot of time. So a lot of the you know development work is done on simulation programs with or without the drivers. I know engineers have simulation programs where they simulate setups for each individual track, but they can do it without a driver and as well. Um, do simulation uh, work with the driver behind the wheel. And uh, that's uh, a lot of what we do. And you do all of this in the context of a pretty busy schedule, uh, racing other stuff. Uh, are you planning to do more sports cars? And by the way, congratulations on that sixth in class at the Rolex, 12th overall in the LNP2. Uh, nice job. Are you going to be doing more sports cars? Yeah, um, for sure. So I, I'd be, I'm going to be racing full-time the, the IMSA championship in the LMP2 class. Our next race is at Sebring. And I'll also be racing um, the World Endurance Championship as well in the LMP2 car. And coincidentally, this, the, our next race is also Sebring. So Sebring in March, we'll be having a double header. I'll be racing Friday, um, the World Endurance Championship. It'll be a 10-hour race. And then I sleep it off, and Saturday I'm back in the car and racing IMSA for a 12-hour race. So I've never done that before. That's going to be pretty interesting. And, like, jumping from one car to the other in between practices and qualifying and stuff, it's going to be a – I'm going to have to make sure I plan it extremely well. Um, but I'm super happy to be doing sports car racing. I, I really love it, and I've been doing, you know – very well with it starting last year and then now you know racing with team joda 
um, who are the current champions and uh, and as well Rickway Racing, who, you know, the goal is to win the IMSA championship this year. We were looking good at Daytona, possibly fighting for a podium finish, but a couple hours to go, our, uh, our brakes exploded and uh, we lost a couple laps. We were able to recover, but um, I, I think we had a shot to, to be fighting for the podium there at the end of Daytona. Welcome to Endurance Racing. Um, before we leave Haas, you mentioned Roman Grosjean's crash that forced you into the seat for, for two races. Were you in Bahrain when he went through the fence and exploded in flames and, uh, and a legend was born? Yes, I was in Bahrain. Um, we're all, you know, all watching at the garage and uh, obviously when the crash happened, when a Formula One car explodes, you know, the impact has to be massive. So uh, we knew it wasn't... Um, uh, it was it was a scary crash. We knew it was a massive impact just to be able to break the Formula One fuel cell and to cause that explosion. And uh, we, we didn't know how he was at the time. Um, but when we saw him get out of the car and, you know, them getting him, the marshals being able to get him out of the car, the medical team pulling him out of the car and him running to the ambulance, we knew that um, he was well. But obviously in crashes like that, when you're having to, uh, breathe in so much smoke and there's fire and stuff. You never know what the after effects are. Uh, and that's always really scary because you might be able to get out of the car. Everything's fine, but you were breathing smoke for the past 40, you know, minutes or 40 seconds, sorry, uh, 40 mm -hmm. minutes. And that really um, hurts your, your lungs and everything. But luckily he was fine with that. Obviously he had a burn in his hand, uh, which was very severe. Actually, I saw him at Daytona and Gunther came to see us as well. By coincidence at Daytona, where our garage was, it was my garage to the left of me, literally to the left, it was Roman Grosjean in his Lamborghini. And to the right of me was Esteban Gutierrez in the other LMP2 car. So it was the three <laughs> Haas drivers at Daytona, one garage, like one next to each other. And then Gunther came to see us and uh, we had a chat, me, Gunther and uh, Roman. Um, but yeah, when he had his accent there, it was, a, it was definitely a scary time for, for the whole team. Gunther, of course, is Gunther Steiner, who's the team principal at Money Graham Haas. What did it do to your head, if I can be so blunt? When you watched that crash and then the team said, okay, you're in next week. I mean, the race was the following weekend. What were you thinking when you saw the potential that was made obvious by Grosjean's crash? You know, obviously, uh, and, you know, the call came in on Monday morning. Um, I woke up and Gunther sent me a message asking me to come to the track. And, you know, I was, wasn't was sure what it was about. You know, I had an idea. Maybe I had something to do with Roman or maybe I did something wrong that he wasn't happy about. But um, I wasn't sure, you know. So I, I arrived at the track, um, arrived at the team hospitality. And Gunther was sitting there next to a Stuart Morrison, who I think you might know is the team PR. Uh, head of communications at Haas and they had some papers in front of them and I was like Jesus I must have done something really bad or something like that but uh, when we sat down um, Gunther you know looked at me and he said Pietro are you ready and I said uh, for sure I'm ready and he said no Pietro you have to say you're fucking born ready and I said okay Gunther I'm fucking born ready and uh, he said great you're gonna be racing uh, this weekend for us so your first Formula 1 GP you have to sign these papers here and you're in the car so that was the Monday following the accident and Gunther told me, you know, he had gone to the hospital um, to see Roman. Uh, they weren't allowing many people to go, but Gunther was able to go there and he asked, he, you know, he let Roman know that he was going to put me in the car and Roman was very happy about that and super supportive. 
Um, and yeah, and then I did my first Formula One GP there at the the Bahrain GP or the Sakir GP as they call it. And then my second uh, Formula One race was the following weekend in Abu Dhabi. That's a pretty amazing story in itself and not often talked about after that spectacular crash. Let's talk about the Formula One cars. Of course, they were new from the ground up last year. You spent time in them. Um, they'll be refined, but not uh, a revolution this year. How would you compare driving the 2022-23 version of a Formula One car compared with the one that came before? They're, um, they're more difficult to drive, uh, these new generation Formula One cars. They're heavier. The tires are heavier. Um, you know, the wheels are heavier. Um, everything in general with the car, it's heavier and stiffer. So you just have to, you feel like you have to hustle the car a lot more. Um, when, you know, the car slides or understeers, everything happens a little bit slower. So when you go correct the car, it's uh, much slower um, motions. Uh, the previous generation car, it felt a lot more stuck to the ground. It felt lighter and it felt faster, to be honest. It was more enjoyable to drive. Um, but the good thing about these new cars is you're, the drivers are more prone to making mistakes. So in the race, um, you can see some, you know, maybe... Uh, unpredictable things uh, happen, you know, with drivers locking up, uh, you know, losing the rear of the car and in the middle of the high-speed corner. Um, so the drivers are more prone to making mistakes. And uh, as well, you're able to follow closer with these cars. They're less uh, wing aero-dependent, uh, much more dependent on the floor to create the downforce. Um, so you're able to follow uh, cars a lot closer, and that in, in general makes the, the racing better. One of our listeners, Drew, has submitted a two-part question. One part is, will you race at Sebring? And you've already told us yes, both in the 10-hour World Endurance Race and the 12-hour WeatherTech Series Race. Good luck to you with that. His other question, though, is what kind of overlap, if any, is there between the technical teams in Formula One and NASCAR? Um, between, uh, you mean with Haas? Or, or is with that Haas, yes. Uh, no, I think that there isn't much of a overlap because they're, they're so different, the cars and the regulations are so different. And, you know, the, the Haas, Haas team, uh, they have an office here next to my, <clears throat> where I live in Kannapolis, where they have the NASCAR shop and then the a Formula One shop, but all, or I'd say most of the engineers and most of the mechanics, uh, they're all based in either in the UK or in Italy for Haas, um, so here in, in the, the Haas F1 shop here, it's more like an administrative office. Um, but I think it's difficult for, you know, the F1 engineers to have like an overlap with the NASCAR engineers just because it's, it's so different, you know. Um, there's, it's two different series. And uh, once the season starts, for example, it's like it's even hard for those guys to communicate because they're, they're so busy. I mean, it's nonstop, both in NASCAR and in Formula One. Okay, I know you got to go, but I have one final question. What are your thoughts on Michael Andretti's effort to start a Formula One team from scratch? Uh, I think, you know, I think it's great. Um, I would love to see, uh, you know, Andretti and another team in Formula One. Uh, as a driver, when you have another team in Formula One, it's another opportunity to be able to, to race in Formula One. You open more doors. You go from 20 cars to 22 cars, and uh, it's more chance for young drivers to to make it into F1 and uh, you know personally I, I think it would be great if, if they were able to to do it uh, you know to, to be able to race in 
uh, in Formula One and have a team in F1. Um, obviously, I think some of the teams, you know, have have concerns of, uh, and I, I you know, I, I see what the teams are saying. You know, they, they have concerns and kind of making sure that every uh, new entry that comes in will provide, you know, benefits for all the teams that have been there for, for many years. Um, uh, so I see how, you know, some teams are a bit cautious and stuff with new entrants trying to come in, but I'm sure, uh, I, I think Andretti would be a, would be a great addition. All right. It's been great talking with you, Pietro. I know you have to get to a team meeting. I really appreciate you taking the time. Good luck this season and into the future. We'll see you at Seabury. Th thank you so much. I, I appreciate the time. Thank you, Bob. Cheers. Job, Mr. Varsha, as usual. He's such a nice guy. But hey, we're going to go straight to break. Yeah. And when we come back, we'll talk a little IndyCar testing here from John Green down in New Zealand. You're listening to Sunday Night with Speed City. Back after this. All right. We're still live on YouTube, Facebook, etc. The boys. Joe and Kevin Kelly are having their own little conversation about the attributes <laughs> of Jameson. And uh, <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk a little IndyCar testing because it was interesting to see. And yeah. I got a little clip from Kyle Kirkwood. You know, motorsport commentators are not supposed to have favorites, but man, I sure like Kyle Kirkwood. I like him ever since he, he actually hung out with us in the booth at our one of our Formula One broadcasts, did some play-by-play -play with us. He's a really nice guy, and he's he's been so fast, so crazy fast his whole career that last year was such an anomaly for him. You know, and every year in his career, it seems like he would win the championship and then move to the next level. F four, F three, F. You know, he yeah. went to uh, Indy. Where was it? Uh, Indy Lights. I mean, he just was just rocketing, and he. Yeah. Well, he, that's the idea. Yeah. All right, coming back. Hey, this is Kurt Busch. You're listening to Speed City Radio. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. That little Kurt Busch bumper was from about 2013 when he drove his NASCAR at Coda, believe it or not. <laughs> that was pretty cool. That was back when the uh, Australian V8 supercars were at Coda, and he brought his NASCAR out there, and he and James Courtney swapped cars and drove around Circuit of the Americas. But, hey, let's talk some IndyCar, uh, Bob, because they did testing, and uh, it looks like Marcus Erickson was fastest overall in the combined results. You know, they, they did day-to-day but uh, Marcus Erickson, Christian Lungard uh, in second fastest, and then Kyle Kirkwood was fastest, and I've got a clip from Kyle that we'll play. But, you know, the, the, some of the usual suspects uh, at, at the top of the timesheets, no big surprises there, just looking all the way down. Um, <laughs> one of my favorites, Connor Daly, uh, unfortunately was towards the bottom, second, second from the bottom. He's down there with the rookies. Come on, Connor, what are you doing, buddy? <laughs> Uh, but I know it's, yeah, just, I know it's, it's just uh, testing. Before we leave Kurt Busch, I, I sure hope he's able to get back on the race car if that's what he decides to do. You know, he had a heavy accident, 
took a knock on the head and basically didn't finish the 2022 season. And I'm not sure where his health stands right now, but uh, oh, yeah. I wish him all the best. As all far right. as the IndyCar thing goes, I think we saw a lot of teams have a lot of work to do. It's great for Kyle Kirkwood and Lungard and, uh, and, and all the folks that went quickly, but there were a lot of stars, really significant drivers yeah. who were not as quick as I expected them to be. I, you know, I expected a little more from Scott Dixon, for example. Yeah. Down um, in 10th. So, yeah. Yeah. So the right. Ganassi team obviously has some work to do. All right. We need to, let's play this clip from Kyle Kirkwood. I got this one real quick and then, uh, then we'll hear from Jonathan, but let's hear from Kyle Kirkwood first. You know, I mean, and I was excited last year. I, th- I, my entire goal last year was to take a car that everyone knows is, is usually mid pack or towards the back. Right. And put it up front. That was, that was always a goal of mine. And that was exciting for me, but it's also exciting to be in a fast car and be fast in a fast car. So, um, there's, there's benefits to both. I'm, I'm just as excited as I was last year, to be honest. Um, but it, it, I'm definitely leaving this place in a happier, happier spot than most of last year. All right. Well, it's going to be fun to watch the IndyCar this year, but let's hear from Jonathan Green down in New Zealand. Jonathan Green down in New Zealand, my friend. How are you, buddy? Doing good. We are four weeks, one month into the season, and it's been fast and furious, quite literally. Well, give us an update. Who's leading and what do we got left? Well, we have one more round to go this weekend in a place called Taupo, which is an old volcano, uh, which is now a lake. So it, it, it's inverted, and the lake is sub three or 400 feet deep, but a great trout lake and a great destination. Um, and we are going to the Taupo circuit. Uh, we have three races left in the championship, um, and there's an almighty battle going on. Uh, out of this weekend, which was the Grand Prix weekend, we had three races. And now there is just 10 points between the two leaders, Charlie Wirtz of Austria, the son of Alexander Wirtz, and young Kiwi Callum Hedge, who is 10 points behind. And then comes the young American, still in contention, but a few more points behind, uh, Jacob Abel from Louisville, Kentucky, who is a for uh, a uh, Indy Lights driver. Oh, awesome. That's fantastic. We have an American up so high in uh, third position. What about the other Americans? The other Americans are doing good. Ryan Sheehan is in the top 10. Um, given that this is his rookie year, he's done a really good job. No real big mistakes. Uh, Morales, who I know you've had on the show, he won a race at the beginning of the season, but has been running pretty much midfield throughout. Um, but he's going to get some big super license points. He's still in the top six. And then Chloe Chambers, of course. Uh, again, another rookie. Excuse me. Um, who's doing well? Um, uh, not changing the world particularly. Um, getting ready for the next W Series if it happens. She's already got a signed contract with Jenna Racing again. Um, uh, so yeah, just learning and making her way. What about the New Zealand Grand Prix? Uh, that's always a a prestigious thing. That the names of the winners, if you go back in history, is pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an event that goes back to 1950, uh, and the likes of Sterling Moss, Graham Hill, John Surtees all won it, um, and it really is, certainly in New Zealand terms, this was the 67th running, uh, and if you know you Grand Prix, there's only two uh, races outside of Formula One that are allowed to be called Grand Prix, and that is Macau and the New Zealand Grand Prix, so very prestigious. 
It was actually won by a young Dutchman, 17-year-old Lauren Van Hopen, who just arrived this week, uh, wasn't expecting to be in the Grand Prix, um, but decided to come over and really stole the show. There were two new entries, Louis Foster, who's also the uh, uh, Indy Pro 2000 champion. He's an Englishman, and he'll be in Indy Lights um, this, or Indy Next, as they're calling it, uh, this season. But a really good driver uh, from England. And then this uh, Lauren Van Hopen, uh, who is a 17-year-old Dutchman, and he is the protege and mentor mentored by Nick DeVries. Ah, Hey, I want to step back to Jacob Abel. You know, he's running third. He's an American, and he's uh, he's got a he's been through USF four, and he was what in the uh, Indy Next in the old Indy Lights, and finished eighth last year, right? But I, I'm going to keep an eye on him because, I mean, running third right now, he could still win it, couldn't he? Yes, he could. And what I've learned in uh, the Toyota Racing Series, one DNF is all it takes. You get 25 points for a win. It's a reverse uh, top eight for race two. So if you win the first race, you're going to start eighth uh, for the second race, which isn't easy. And then the longer feature race is the third race of the day. So, you know, there's a, a still a, another good 75 points up for grabs. Um, so, yeah, long way to go, even though it's just one weekend. So I've seen it come down to a couple of points here and there. So it's always getting intense. And now they've been racing and practicing for four weeks in a row. So there's a bit of mental fatigue as well coming in, as well as physical fatigue of that much racing. Over 3,500 kilometers of racing. So you can see why Jacob Abel, when he arrives at St. Pete, will have a huge advantage over the competition who've been sat in the freezing weather in Indianapolis all winter. Uh, hey, let's move on. Jonathan, while you were gone uh, halfway around the world, there was a little bit of an announcement in here in the States with Formula One. Uh, I'm sure you haven't heard anything about Ford, have you? No. And this little company with a blue logo, I think uh, <laughs> they've been in Formula One before. I think they've won 155 Grand Prix with their engines over 16 years of competition <laughs> in the 80s. Uh, yes, I think I think the blue oval is a welcome return to Formula One. Last with Jaguar, which ironically was or became Red Bull. So there's a sort of coming <laughs> yeah. home to roost. Yeah. Hey, did, you said you caught up with, uh, with a Ford guy there in New Zealand, I guess. Yeah, manager director of Ford New Zealand, Simon Rutherford, came to the race. Uh, an interesting um, guy to come because we were also doing the Formula Ford uh, championship. I was doing commentary on that. And, of course, Liam Lawson, Scott Dixon, uh, Brendan Hartley have all been Formula Ford champions. And just as Formula Ford is popular in America and in um, the UK, uh, it's just as popular down there. So they are obviously uh, sponsors of that championship. But they were talking, and he was talking quite uh, uh, interestingly about the Red Bull decision, but also how, of course, AlphaTauri is part of that decision. So Ford engines will be in four cars come 2026. Yeah, Jonathan, we are super excited in that. But look, I know you. we don't have much time for you. I really appreciate it. I uh, I know that uh, this has been a whirlwind for you, and you be when will you be coming home, my friend? I am coming home a week after the championship's over on the 21st and going literally hop, skipping and a jump, change your clothes and off to Sebring for the first round of Trans Am. <laughs> awesome. All right, Greeny. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. Thanks for guys. Have a good show. All right, guys, we're out of time. We've got to go. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Thanks, Mr. Varsha. And we'll talk to everybody next Sunday night.